Good morning, church. Like, I was sitting there thinking, what, how much time do I want to spend telling them how much I love them and appreciate them? I know I've told you that every single week, and I know I've been telling you that for years, but this morning my heart feels a new measure of that. There hasn't been a week that's gone by, and Mike is exactly right. It is incredibly strange to preach to myself every week and watch myself preach, but the strangest part of it all was standing here week after week preaching to empty chairs and picturing your faces, but it's, it's like literally a dream come true seeing your faces here again because I've been thinking about this moment and thinking about your faces ever since all of this began. So I know it's still weird and I know we're still masked and we're still separated and we can't visit and talk and shake and, and hug the way that we always do, but uh, we're getting there and we're taking a step back in that direction and I am so incredibly thankful to see all of your faces and I know that there's even more people watching online and we're so happy that you're with us as well. I do love you. And I appreciate you. I appreciate your patience and your faith, your tenacity, the way you've held on to each other and continue to do so through these last few months. We're thinking this month about a number, 168, which is, I know because I've checked many, many times over the last few months, uh, 168 is the number of hours in a week. And I I've been planning this series all year, and been, it's been coming up, and I've been thinking every time I see that number, I think, that's too little, isn't it? 168, there's no way that 24 times, is that really 168? It, it seems like, but yes, and, and, and no wonder that the week seems to go so fast because there's so few hours in a week. 168, that's all you get. You might, you might get less, hopefully not, but you might get less, but you won't get more. You won't get more than that. That's it. Every week we get 168 hours. And so this month, the next few weeks, we're going to consider how do you spend that 168 hours? How do you spend that every single week? What do you do with those 168 hours? Are you being intentional with that? We, we've been talking this year about taking the next step by faith. I'm thinking about the next steps that we're taking. And maybe in order to take a next step in your life, you need to reflect on this week that cycles by every single 168 hours. Every Saturday night, you, your 168 hours are up. And every Sunday morning, you get a new 168 hours. And so we all have to decide, what are we going to do with that? We all get the same number. The most productive people in the world get 168 hours. And the people like me that feel like we don't accomplish enough we get 168 hours, all of us. What are we going to do with it? And I love the fact that the Christian week begins every week with a, with a holiday, with a celebration, right? Every week begins with a, a holiday, a celebration that the new creation has begun, that death has begun to lose its grip on the world, that Jesus is victorious, that sin and death are passing away. We begin every week with celebration. We begin every week with worship. And that's what I want us to think about this week, is how much of our 168 hours are we devoting to worship? How much of this precious time, these few hours that we have this week, do we devote to worship? And, and I think maybe I need to clarify, because sometimes we mean different things when we say worship, and I think different things can be meant by the word worship. But when I say worship, I want to be really clear. So when I say worship, I don't mean 
I don't mean, this is the next slide, I think. I don't mean that only what we do collectively, okay? So I think we've come here to worship, but, but I don't just mean that, right? Because it, it's really bothered me. I've heard several times over the last few months, not just from people here in our area, but all, all over the world, that, that we're being kept from worship by this pandemic. We're not being kept from worship. I certainly hope we haven't put our worship on pause, right? Even if we didn't have online, we could still worship. People in, in countries like North Korea that are followers of Jesus and can't even gather with any other believers, they can still worship. So when I say worship, I don't just mean what we do collectively. I don't just mean the assembly. This is incredibly important. It is. And I'm so thankful that we can do this in person this morning, right now. But I, when I say worship, I don't just mean what we do collectively, and I don't mean everything that we do for God. I, I think there's better words for that, like devotion or service. I, I don't mean everything that we do. I mean specifically very, something very specific. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that the word worship, the English word worship, originally when that word was first coined, it, it wasn't about what you do but about what you are, or specifically what some people are. And we've seen that probably in old movies, you know, where they're talking to a king or to a queen or a prince or a princess, and they'll say, your worship, right? They'll call them your worship. That's how the word worship was originally used. It was used to talk about a dignitary or somebody that is royal or somebody that had worth or value. It's sad that they thought that only those people had worth or value or had greater worth or value, but they would use that word worship to talk about what a person was rather than what a person does. And it's really within the last 700 years or so that we've begun to use that word for something that we do, expressing reverence and adoration for God. But when I say worship, that's what I'm talking about, expressing reverence and adoration for God. So that's what I'm asking us to reflect on this morning is how much of your 168 hours, how much of it are you going to devote? How much are you in the habit of devoting to expressing reverence and adoration for God, for telling God, I love you and you are worthy and I celebrate what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do. You are a God who keeps his promises. You are holy and just and perfect. How much time do we spend telling God that we are devoted to him, that we adore him, that we revere him? And, and why is it significant that we spend time doing that? Not just this time, this is good. We've all devoted this one hour of our 168 hours to expressing our reverence and devotion to God. But how, how much of the other 167 hours will you spend expressing yourself to God? I want us to reflect on Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18 this morning, by looking at the other side of it. When we fail to worship, what happens to us? When we fail to spend time expressing our reverence and devotion, giving honor to God, giving thanks to God. What happens to us? What happens to human beings when we fail to worship God? And if we see what happens when we fail to worship God, hopefully we'll see the significance of spending a significant amount of time 
expressing our reverence and devotion to God. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Paul's talking about the, the Gentile world and about what's wrong with the world and why they need a savior. He talks about the Gentile world and then he kind of turns the tables and talks about the Jewish world and says, we both need a savior. Both the Gentiles and the Jews need a savior. And he says this in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. He says, this is why the wrath of God has been revealed against humanity is because they had all of the evidence that they needed to see the divine nature and eternal power of God and give honor to God and thank God, but they didn't. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And this is why God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So the first point is probably the most obvious but, but it's also the most significant. The first point is this. Failure to worship God changes how we relate to God. Failure to worship changes how we relate to God. There's a reason why. There's a reason why it makes God angry when human beings fail to honor him and give thanks to him. And it's not because God is an egomaniac. It's not because God just wants all of the attention and the adoration and the reverence. It's because he knows that brokenness begins with the failure to worship. Human brokenness begins with a failure to worship. Because a failure to worship, a failure to thank God and a failure to honor God, a failure to see God for who he is, is a failure to see the world as it is. It's a failure to see ourselves as we are. It's a failure to see things as they truly are. Foolish, darkened understanding. And God knows that brokenness begins with a failure to worship. And so a failure to worship God changes how we relate to him. But look at verse 22. He says, claiming to be wise... They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He says that it isn't, it isn't that human beings didn't worship. It's that they didn't worship Yahweh. It's they didn't worship God. Because you're going to worship something. In fact, I love this quote from David Foster Wallace who said, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And what happens is if we fail to worship God, we worship something else. And the only something else that there is is creation. Right? If we don't worship the creator, we worship creation. Right? That's the only choice there is. And so the second point is this. This failure to worship God changes how we relate to creation. And what was our relationship to creation supposed to be? Do you remember? We were supposed to rule over creation, weren't we? 
That's what he created Adam and Eve to do, was to co-rule with him over creation. That was our job, was to rule over the beasts of the field, to, to take care of the plants and the animals, to rule over them. But instead, because we failed to worship him and worship creation instead, and took all of the things that we really thought were important and significant, things like pleasure and treasure and power, and then fixed little idols and images of ourselves and of animals, birds, and creeping things, and worship those things. Our relationship to creation changed. And now instead of ruling over creation, creation is ruling over us because we're worshiping it. And we became slaves. Isn't that what happens? When you worship something, you belong to that something. And when you worship pleasure and treasure and power, when you worship created things, you become a slave of those things. And that's what happened to humanity. That's what happens to all of us. When we fail to worship God, it changes our relationship, not only with God, but also with creation itself. Look at verse 24. He says, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We dishonored our own bodies. That's what happens. Failure to worship God changes how we relate to ourselves. That's the third point. Failure to worship God changes how we relate to ourselves. We were supposed to be the image bearers of God. That word image is, is like the only other way it's used, I think, in Scripture is as a, an idol. A, a God would have an idol that is this image that reflects the, the nature of that God. Well, our God has an image, has image bearers, and that's supposed to be us. Not a graven, a, not, a, not a statue image but a living, breathing image. We are supposed to be the image bearers of God. But we fail to reflect that and we fail to realize that and embrace that when we don't worship God. When we fail to worship God, it changes our relationship with ourselves, who we think we are. <laughs> That's a good question, is it? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You don't know who you are if you fail to worship God. Failure to worship God changes how we relate to ourselves. Then look at verse 26. He says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women, exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. 
Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Do we see all, all of these, this sin list? And surely we can all find ourselves on that list? And the things that we've done, specifically in this portion of text, how we treat each other? And, and what is the root cause of that? Why is it that we mistreat and abuse each other? It's because we fail to worship God. So the fourth point is this. Failure to worship God changes how we relate to others. Do we see covetousness? What is coveting? It's saying, I wish you didn't have that stuff and I had that stuff, right? I hate that you have it because I want it. Or malice, wanting to hurt someone physically or verbally. Envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip. See, when we don't worship God, when we fail to worship God, when we fail to see the place that God holds in the universe, then it changes how we relate to him, it changes how we relate to creation, it changes how we relate to ourselves, it changes how we relate to other people. And other people, instead of being image bearers of God, they're just objects to be used or they're obstacles to be overcome. That's what happens, isn't it? When we fail to worship God, when we fail to see everything through the lens of worship, through the lens of magnifying and revering and honoring and adoring our Heavenly Father, when we fail to see the world through that, when we fail to see our neighbor through that, then our neighbor is just an object for us to use or an obstacle for us to get around. And that's how we treat each other, isn't it? They're bothering me. They're in my way. I don't like them. I want to avoid them. Or they seem useful to me. I think I could use what they are or what they have. And that's the root of everything that we see in this text, isn't it? That's why we're envious and murderous. And that's why we strive and we deceive and we're malicious and we're gossips and we're slanderers. It's because we don't see other people. We don't see our neighbor our brothers and sisters, our enemies. We don't see them as fellow image bearers of God. We see them as obstacles or as objects to be used. And so if all of these negative things are true, if failure to worship changes the way we relate to God and to creation and to ourselves and to others, then isn't it true that when we worship, that worship changes how we relate to God, creation, ourselves, and others. That's why it's so significant. That's why saying, I've got 168 hours this week. 168 hours, and what, what, like maybe nine of those are gone already, right? Whatever's left. I, I've got to spend a significant amount of that time reflecting on the divine nature an eternal power of God. I've got to spend a significant amount of time adoring God, revering God, honoring God, thanking God, praising God. I have to spend a significant amount of my 168 hours worshiping God because if I don't, then my view of God and creation and myself and other people will be skewed, won't it? It will be. 
That's the root problem. When we look around our world and we say, I can't believe people would do that. I can't believe people would treat other people that way. When we look at our own lives and we say, I can't believe I did that. Or I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I went there. I can't believe I did those things. It's because we fail to see God for who he was and everything else in light of that truth. But don't forget the primary point that Paul is making in Romans. We've all done this. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we needed a Savior. And Jesus came to save us, both the Jew and the Gentile, bring us into his family, to change us, to forgive us, to redeem us, to sanctify us, but so that now we can walk this new life a life where we spend a significant amount of our 168 hours remembering who we are and whose we are. Remembering that worship changes how we relate to God. Worship changes how we relate to creation. Worship changes how we relate to ourselves. Worship changes how we relate to others. So if it's this significant, if worship really is this significant for shaping how we think and how we act and how we talk and how we relate to other people, how much time, how much time will you give to him? Because it doesn't take long, does it? Week after week after week. I just, it shocks me sometimes how fast it goes, how fast those 168 hours can run out. We have to be intentional. Say, I will give a significant amount of my week this week to worshiping God. I want to close by, by reading Psalm 29, which says this. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned above the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This morning, if there's anybody who is ready to turn their life over to Jesus by being baptized into Christ, or if you need prayers or encouragement, one of our shepherds or maybe a couple of our shepherds will meet you at the, at the information desk in the back if you need to visit with somebody or pray for, with somebody. But let's all spend this week finding time to worship God, knowing that it changes how we relate to him, how we relate to creation, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to others. Let's pray. Father, we ascribe to you glory and strength. We ascribe to you the glory do your name. We worship you in the splendor of holiness. Your voice shakes the earth, makes the deer give birth, and strips the forest bare. We all say glory. You sit enthroned above the flood. You sit enthroned as king forever. Give strength to your people. Bless your people with peace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.